Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today, uh, we've had him here before, Dr. Stephen Hoffman, who is one of the most highly sought authors in the world on malaria and is listed as the third most influential person in the world in the vaccine industry. So we're, we brought him here to talk a little bit about vaccines and where we are in the COVID-19 vaccine race. So when we come back, we'll have Dr. Stephen Hoffman. Hi, and we're back. This is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me is Dr. Stephen Hawthorne, who is a, an expert on vaccines, one of the most sought-after authors in the world on it, on malaria. And uh, so, Dr. Hawthorne, I guess I'm going to start off, Stephen, going to start off by asking you, do we have a vaccine for COVID or not? What's, where are we in the process? Just cutting through all the baloney, all the BS, when will people begin to be able to take a vaccine? Uh, Brian, um, I think we're a lot, a lot closer than we were two weeks ago. And um, let me talk a little bit about the process and the concerns that we might have had in terms of building a vaccine, yes. whether, no matter what company. So um, the major companies that are going forward with vaccine development, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Novavax, and so on, have all picked the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So we've all seen that every time you turn on the news, you see those spikes coming out of the capsule of the, right. of the virus. And the idea is if you make antibodies against those spikes, which are available, exposed on the surface that one could neutralize the virus. And by neutralizing the virus, eventually kill it. And um, the, the actual proteins or this form that these proteins have been expressed is actually somewhat unique. It's not just the way it is on the virus, but there's been what we call structural vaccinology where um, they were engineered to be in a certain format. Okay, and, so uh, before, we the, we, before we lose everybody yes. who's not a scientist, you're talking sure. about the spike protein, the spikes on the protein itself, right? As, yes, as, the spikes as, on the virus. On, it's called the yeah. spike protein, which is on those spikes. Which that is come out the of the virus, virus, the virus molecule itself. Yes. Correct? And so, so you're going to imagine. Yeah. Go ahead. If you make an antibody, if this is the virus and it's a little, if this spike or it's that ball that you see on the top, and you make an antibody that globs onto it, then that antibody will then induce an immune response overall that eliminates that virus or neutralizes. The virus, if you bind to it, can no longer get into the cell. 
right. nor human cells to cause disease because on that spike protein, there's something called the receptor binding domain. And it binds to one of the important, you know, and a receptor on cells in our body. And if you block that, the virus can't get in. Kind of like putting so, a stock over your golf club. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I have to think, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> a glove um, on your hand. <laughs> and you're not able to go anywhere with a glove on your hand. <laughs> exactly. Um, gotcha. So the first question, and, and the vaccines, the first two that we've heard about are called mRNA vaccines, the one by Pfizer and Moderna. And they aren't actually made of that protein. They're made of the what's called the, the RNA the, that codes for that protein. Ah. So if we now go back a little bit in terms of science, and we've all heard about DNA. So right. the DNA is inside your cells, and the DNA codes for RNA right. in our cells. And then the RNA codes for a protein. So there's a multiple step process. So in the case of the vaccines that we're talking about that have shown the great results, the RNA was made and injected and it goes into your cells, my cells, the volunteer cells and makes that protein. The protein then gets exported from our cells to the immune system and the immune system makes antibodies. Cool. And now, the, so the first question, that we had, let's just talk about those two vaccines. Yep. Would the mRNA get into the cells, make the protein and make the antibodies? And the answer to that is definitely yes. Would the antibodies be the right antibodies that could neutralize the virus? And now, even though it's early, even though it's only a few volunteers or not thousands that have gotten SARS-CoV-2 in the trials, and even though it's only immunity after whatever, a few weeks, a, a, a few months, we know that the job can be done. That's the exciting thing about these results. We know the job can be done because in the small numbers that have been assessed, and I haven't seen any of the data, but what I hear, and I hear from you know, Dr. Fauci and others who have seen the data, that we have 90% protection with one of the vaccines and 94% with the other one. So to that break means that, it can work. That yeah, that let's break that down right because in the beginning, as I remember, and we had a conversation about this, um, it wasn't sure that you could even come up with a vaccine for this particular. Right. So this shows that it can be done. That's the important step forward is what you're saying. It can be done and it shows that this particular technology can you know, get into the cells, make the protein, induce the antibodies, and those antibodies can actually neutralize the virus in people. We already knew from what we call phase one and two trials that if you gave it to people and you took their blood out and separated the serum from the blood and put that in a culture plate, with the virus that it could neutralize the virus. There was no guarantee that that's what would happen inside people. And right. this shows that this can be done, all right? This is a huge, huge step forward. Does it mean it's the perfect vaccine? Does it mean that we're gonna have 90% or 94% for two months, three months, six months, 12 months, two years? We don't know that yet. 
But so what you're, we the, do know is that, I'm, yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. when you're talking about two months, three months, six, you're talking how long the vaccine will keep you from getting the coronavirus. Protected, protected. So it right. could protect you for as little as two, as many as 12, we don't know. Or more, we, or we more. just don't know because we're going so fast. One of the reasons why it takes so long to develop vaccines is that you wanna know before you license it, how long do you write on the package insert it works for? Here, <laughs> that would be we're nice gonna be happy, yes, to know that it works. And then over the course of the next months and years, we're gonna know how long it works. But this is a tremendous, huge step forward for, for all of us because it shows that it can be done. Some people had concern that because coronaviruses, we don't have any human vaccines against coronaviruses, coronaviruses cause the common cold, for example, that it was gonna be hard to do it because they would, you know, there, there was too much variation and so on. And this at least shows that it can be done and done at a very high level. So it's really exciting and encouraging I think for everybody in the vaccine, you know, vaccine field, and I would hope for everyone out there because we're really, you know, made a tremendous advances, uh, in, you know, in, in the last period of time. Um, so that, I wanna talk a little bit about that in the second segment, what this portends for vaccines, um, you know, going forward for malaria, for example, that you work on and for other uh, uh, diseases and, and, and that we don't have vaccines for. But for right now, let's keep it in the realm of, of, of this particular coronavirus uh, for the next few minutes and talk a little bit about how was this, you know, the Operation Warp Speed, this was really politicized by, uh, I, I get a feeling, but, you know, by politicians in the United States. But when I talk with um, scientists such as yourself, there was nothing particularly uh, different about the process. It's this is the process you go through and you had success doing it. Is that fair to say? Yes, what, what's different about this is taking a risk. Right? Earlier. It's, it's building, you know, making vaccine before you know it's safe and it works. That's it's, what we've done this time. There was a tremendous investment in um, just taking a risk. We've got whatever, five different companies that have gotten between a billion and $2 billion that are out there pushing this forward. Uh, the speed with which we're getting people enrolled and results is unparalleled, uh, certainly in the modern era. One could go back to when Salk did the trials for polio vaccine they actually did something like 800,000 children. Wow. In, in the first trial. I mean, so the 20, 30, 40, 50 that we're seeing is, uh, is a lot for current trials, certainly in the time frame that it's been done and people have been enrolled and that's required tremendous financial investment. The reason why the mRNA vaccines are first is because there's been 30 years of work on these, this type of vaccine, nucleotide vaccines. We always knew that if, that this was gonna be the fastest way to make a vaccine, but we, there's never been a licensed product based on this technology for wow. a variety of reasons. And so the technology has what been reason? worked on for 30 years. 
What reason? Um, the, there's a variety of reasons. One, it's a, a different type of technology than uh, has been embraced by the vaccine industry for the most part. And second, um, depending upon what disease we're interested in, um, the amount of antibodies that you need is probably going to be less for this uh. this this type of a, uh, disease than than others. Certainly, for malaria, we can't uh, with current formats, as far as I know, make enough antibodies to control malaria, but it's a much more uh, complicated infectious agent. This is a virus, it's quite simple. And, um, and so, um, but this comes on the heels of, as I said, you know, 20, 30 years of investment right. in research and development. This yeah. came on the heels of working on this same approach for SARS-CoV-1, right? right? So, so that we were, and this comes with investing in preparedness uh, at the research level and in some of these, so that we were, the companies that did it were able to go forward very quickly. So is there any chance with as quickly as we've gone that we've gone too quickly? Um, no, I, I believe that, um, you know, it's very simple with a trial, you know, you go through, they did go through earlier phases. Um, there's nothing that's ever been done in terms of this technology to indicate this or the other approaches that are now, we're going to be hearing about a recombinant virus vaccine soon from AstraZeneca and Oxford and Johnson and Johnson. And then we're going to hear from recombinant protein vaccines, which are more like what we have. Um, right. And from Novavax, a, a place down the street from me here, and others, Sanofi, and so on. So we're gonna we have the three different major uh, vaccine technology approaches: mRNA, recombinant virus, and then recombinant protein with adjuvant, all being pursued in parallel, all with essentially equivalent funding. Um, because and that's what the what the warp speed is all about is right. that we're getting funding for everything simultaneously, including the capacity to make the stuff when you show it works. So that's where the <laughs> so speed is. We're throwing is. money at the it. Financial, the financial investment. The You're technology right. was there waiting for it, but nobody could move fast enough because where are you gonna get investors to do this? And this is where the government, right. um, organizations like CEPI have all stepped up to fund this. And that's really quite fantastic. So um, that so let me ask. Uh, bottom lining it as we as as we head into the break. If we bottom line it, when could you or I or my kids or my neighbor across the street go and get a, a, a vaccine? When do you see that ability happening? Spring, uh, January, uh, next week, tomorrow? So so I can only. The only way I can answer that, because no one's calling me up to tell me when that is. Right. right. But I, you know, um, I just am in the middle of attending the American Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene annual meeting, which is now online. And at that meeting, uh, Dr. Tony Fauci got a, a, an award on the first night. And then we had a symposium yesterday regarding COVID-19, and which he talked about where we were. And he thinks that we can have the first vaccine, people vaccinated, you know, 
maybe by the end of the year, this is what was stated. I know nothing right. you've heard on the news, whether it's the first of the year, January or February. Um, the plan is of course, to uh, first immunize first responders, healthcare personnel, uh, people with you know really underlying conditions who are at highest risk of dying, then to move to other segments of the population. And so um, depending on how old you are and what your health condition is, that will really <coughs> determine who gets immunized. Um, and I need and to lose course, a little weight, but I'm still handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell. So I, so I guess I'll have to wait. Right. So, so, and again, you have to think again that we've got many countries lining up to get this. There is set over, you know, 7 billion people in this world. We have 300, over 350 million people in the United States. If they all got two shots, which it looks like it, this will require that 700 million doses. So nobody, you know, we're, we're talking about over the course, I would think of the next year and a half, um, but with a lot of really, a, a lot of people immunized in the next six to nine months. And you know, then the question is, is that enough to induce the quote unquote herd immunity that we right. all keep hearing about? And that will depend upon what segment of the population actually wants to get the vaccine and adheres to getting both doses and so on. Right. And, we do have a problem. We have a terrific problem of people not believing that COVID is even causing them to be, you know, hospitalized, intubated, and die. This, this is really simple. This virus comes out of your nose or your mouth and it comes in through your nose or your mouth. You cover your nose or your mouth, you won't get it and you stay far away from people. <laughs> but if you have it and, and you're a public servant, Oh and you go out without a mask and talk to people. This is happening all over the country. And this is why, you know, uh, I'm digressing from the vaccine, but I'm so upset. No. I'm running a vaccine company. I'm keeping people working. We've never stopped for a single day. I've got people complaining that are maybe in a different political spectrum than I am about <laughs> the lockdowns and this. And I'm saying we can work full time. We're working full time. I got 80 people working full time. Nobody is transmitted in our workplace, but we have to do it with care. In right. Maryland, we have seven times as six, two months ago, we had an, an average daily for the week of 300 and some odd cases. And this week it's 2,100 or 2,300. Yeah. We have tripled the number of hospitalizations. You know what a cost is for a hospitalization for a COVID-19 patient in, in the last six weeks? And so we can do everything we want with the vaccines if people don't take it and people don't adhere in the short run to the public health advice, and uh, which is by the way, recommended by 98% of the infectious disease and public health officials in the country, then we're gonna be, have a problem even with a vaccine. Yeah, and I, you know, I'll tell you, I interviewed people who are sick with it. Someone uh, who has a wife on a ventilator and they don't believe it. They still think it's a hoax. I, I, I don't know how you, I, I, I mean, leadership in this country would be nice to where we could um, at least deal with that and get people to wear masks. But I, I'm talking to people who just think that it's a, it's a hoax and that there's nothing that you're going to do that's going to convince them otherwise. And yeah. I, I don't know how you deal with that level of, 
I, I honest to God don't. I yeah, going to all right, world o meters today, it was uh um, 162,000 cases today, brand new cases. And the right. uh and of course the uh death toll is is up as well. And in Maryland, I, I mean, we're not up there like Texas and, and California, but yeah, 2,149 cases today. That's just- and We were down to 330 cases two months ago. Amazing. This, and then, this past week, the daily average is 50 to 80% higher than it ever was last May or June. We're gonna take, uh, yeah, we're gonna take yeah. a quick break, break. And when we come back, I wanna ask you a little bit about that and how we, uh, how we uh, put together a vaccine. So stick around, we'll be right back. Well, time to pay the bills, folks. And this one, I, I don't mind doing. If <laughs> Actually, I've actually used this. If this 2020 holiday season feels like it's been a long time, come and make it worth the wait with Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself all shipped directly to your door. They offer everything you need to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. Okay, or maybe not, maybe just a delicious festival. Uh, their deluxe grillers assortment package includes a variety of entrees, sides, and desserts. Right now, you can get this mouth-watering package. I, I've never actually seen a mouth water. Oh, well, anyway, plus four free burgers and a free digital meat thermometer. And we all need a good meat thermometer. An exclusive price only available to uh, our listeners. So go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code question into the search bar. Get a jump on gift shopping with Omaha Steaks. You know, Omaha Steaks isn't just a steak. It, it's actually a, a lot of them. It's a fantastic gift and a safe way to share the joy of the season with Omaha Steaks. Guaranteed quality and safety with every order. Order the Deluxe Grillers Assortment Package today, and you'll receive four free Omaha Steak Burgers and a free digital meat thermometer. That's just a great straight line I won't use. When you go to omahasteaks.com and type question in the search bar, that's omahasteaks.com and type question. And if you need to spell it, it's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N in the search bar. And you'll shop for the best gourmet gifts of the season. I, I like a good raw steak, so uh, enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. Hi, and we're back. That was a long break. <laughs> so, Stephen, I get. Let me ask you this: with the if we go back to the uh, um, 1918 flu uh, that you know was the last great pandemic in the U.S. and 1918, 1919, eventually, all right, the second wave was more deadly than the first, and but then eventually the virus, the flu mutated. So so now it's actually part of our uh, seasonal flu that we have that was in 1918, 1919. Well, the same thing happened, do you think, with the coronavirus? Or it, because it is a coronavirus, do you think that it will be different? Um, I gave you food for thought there. I mean, I'm, not a, I'm not a virologist. Right. You're and I'm not really a great student of the 1918 flu pandemic. I've read about it. Um, my hope would be that this would die out like SARS-CoV-1 did uh, and or maintain at a very low level like MERS has, um, that 
as far as I can tell, it's not behaving like our annual flu virus, right. uh, where we have to make a different vaccine every single year, and where we've never had a vaccine that came close to having this 90, 94% efficacy that we hope holds up. So that if this virus does not mutate in the same way as the influenza virus, the spike protein, the target of these an protective antibodies doesn't change, and there's no guarantee that it won't. Right. And the efficacy holds up at the level we're talking about, then I believe that we can impact, it will not be like an annual flu, uh, but I think we're still so early in this. I mean, it's only been around since last December um, and we don't know. I mean, we don't really know why there's so many more cases right now. Is it possible right. that the virus has changed to become more transmissible? We don't know that. I, I find it unbelievable that we're getting hit with such an incredible high incidence. Infectious disease and public health specialists- Made me nervous. <laughs> yeah, predicted that this was going to come, but I don't think we predicted that it was gonna come so soon. And we haven't even hit Thanksgiving or Christmas right. or the worst indoor weather. We've had pretty nice weather being outside most of the time. And yet um, we're seeing this tremendous increase I hope it's just because of people not maintaining social distancing and you know what we call you know uh, non-pharmacologic you know in, in interventions. I think it's um, all the political but, rallies. <laughs> well, it, it's superseded. It. Look, you know, uh, I I uh, I don't hide my feelings. I mean, I think leadership is very important and communicating to the country. I mean, I give a sermon every single day in my company. All right. And I don't know what everybody's political persuasion is, but I do tell them that I, you know, every day what's going on, or you know, certainly every week we had our our uh, all hands meeting this morning, and we put up this map, this this graph of what's happening, and say it is worse. Your chance of getting it now are worse than it was when when you, when we went out in May and went on full lockdown. And when people talk in this country about lockdown, it's not the kind of lockdown that they've had that's worked in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and so on. It's it's a different, you know, they don't, they're not allowed, they weren't allowed out of their houses. They were allowed for like one hour once a week to go get groceries and things. So, um, but we're a different sort of country. So I don't know what's gonna happen. I hope that with the vaccine, with the virus behaving, at least as it seems to have so far, that we will actually really be able to control it and make it so that you or I or our family um, has minimal to no chance of getting infected. And if we do get infected, it will not replicate to the point where we get very serious disease. That's the hope, that's the possibility of a vaccine. And I'm very um, confident, you know, hopeful that that's what we're gonna end up so let's walk me walk me through for the uninitiated for the for those who <laughs> for the science minded but without the science educated mind walk me through how you get to a vaccine how does it for all right so we have the coronavirus we identify the virus first i would i would presume that first is identifying what it is you're trying to get a a, a vaccine against uh, and so right. then once you identify what it is, 
what are the walk me through that to where we are now how do you get there okay so you you get this virus it's in wuhan china and uh it's sequenced we in other words we the building blocks the new the letters of the genetic code are are sequenced the D, you know in this case it's rna but the, the, the building blocks of the genetic code. So we now have the sequence and we know what that sequence codes for in terms of proteins. In and your body. So now we say, what? Proteins Pardon in your me? body, right? Are you talking protein, about? Yeah, or proteins yeah. in the virus. Okay. okay. And so now we say, okay, let's, we look at this protein. We know this virus, we know the structure of it. We've seen this envelope in, classical vaccinology, many of the, vac the, the, the uh, viruses for which we have vaccines against, let's take, for example, um, you know, human, the most recent vaccine is human papilloma virus vaccine. Okay. And, but, you know, we look at the surface, pro the proteins that are out there on the surface and, we, and, and that may have functional activity that are involved in getting that virus into cells where it can hijack the cell's machinery to do its damage and to, because a virus can't live by itself. It has to live inside of a cell. So if we can prevent it from getting into our cells and we say, aha, this is on the surface. Let's make antibodies against that and that will block it. So now we're gonna take technologies, what we call vaccine delivery technologies that can make antibodies. The first vaccine was the smallpox vaccine. The vaccine technology was actually an attenuated or a cowpox, so a related virus that infected cattle, and that was made into the vaccine in the so late 1700s. So, so that now you take that virus and you inject it, and that virus makes antibodies against the smallpox virus, but it doesn't cause disease in people. Right. Another example of that is the oral polio vaccine. It's made up of a, three viruses, polio viruses, three different strains that are weakened. They're, we call them attenuated and they make antibodies against the polio virus, the measles vaccine, the mumps vaccine. They're all examples of that type of vaccine. The next kind of vaccine to come along is where you kill the virus and you inject it. It's no longer alive. And the salt polio vaccine is a killed virus. So you then kill you the virus, you put it in, in the body of, of the host and- And the body still create, makes antibodies. Creates the antibodies because it the recognizes right. the disease and doesn't know that it's dead, but just right. creates the antibodies. So right. you can have an attenuated, then, you can have a, a dead virus and then go ahead. Now you can come to what we call a subunit vaccine where you take a part of the virus or bacteria and you make it or you get it from the virus or bacteria and isolate it and generally put it together with what we call an adjuvant, which is something that enhances it. It's another chemical that enhances it. And you inject that and you make the antibodies against that protein. Um, the human papillomavirus, you know, the cervical cancer vaccine um, has done an incredible job is made that way. The first recombinant protein vaccine was the hepatitis B surface antigen vaccine, which came out in the, in the late mid 1980s. Um, and then 
it took a long time to get other ones, but now we're on more of a roll and getting them. So that's the next time. The next kind of vaccine um, is that has come along of which there's no licensed vaccines yet, um, or there, there now is for Ebola is a recombinant virus that actually makes the protein in your body. So right. now perhaps it's making it better than if you have to make it in a vat and, and purify it, you just let the, another virus make it inside of your cells. And that's the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and the um, AstraZeneca University of Oxford vaccine. They're using some type of an adenovirus to make the spike protein. And now we go, so now you started with the whole, the whole virus, now a week, a week and that, does, that doesn't, then a killed virus, and then the proteins the virus actually makes. And now you're also having a virus make the protein in your body. And finally, we get further away, which is the nucleotide vaccines, which are you actually inject either the RNA or the DNA that codes for the, the, for the protein. And so you pick all of those, and now the spike protein, the, 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 spike, the virus was sequenced, it was, its structure was, was solved, and now different groups took different approaches. The mRNA approach, there is a DNA approach also uh, by another company called Inovio. Uh, they say you have a DNA approach, an RNA approach, a recombinant virus approach, and a recombinant protein approach, and actually the Chinese have a killed virus approach also. So all of these approaches are being pursued simultaneously. This is something unprecedented in the history of vaccinology that so many groups are moving forward so fast with different approaches with the hope that one of them will work. And I bet, bet that a lot of them are gonna work because I don't think it's that hard, quite frankly. This particular virus. This particular virus. So I don't think is going to be that hard. So they but study this builds it. on many, many, many years of research and development and preparedness for being able to strike so fast. Yeah, and so we're we're looking at people at, at researchers who are going after. I mean, as you said, uh, they've got 20, 30 years of work behind them, working this way, and that so they're 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 ahead of the game when when they get the virus, you can identify it. You're going to try and uh, find a way to kill it, and then you're going to do it safely and try and get it. Because I imagine the, the biggest challenge in all this is it's really easy, I, I assume, to kill it, the, the virus. You, I guess you could take Trump's advice and pour bleach on it, probably kill it, but it would also kill the host. So you're trying to figure out a vaccine that will right. kill the virus without killing the host. Correct. Right. And then let me just let, yes. And, and let me, and that's, of course, you don't want to get an overabundant immune response, but now let's just, right. let me just take it a step further. Um, Cause I do get to tell a little bit about what we're trying to do. Yeah. So um, these approaches are all going forward and I'm confident now that they will work. Will they be the end game? Will they be the, the final answer? They're all injected. You all have to, we're gonna to have to line up for injections and so on. And they're all based on one protein, this spike protein, but the virus has multiple proteins. And it may be to have dural immunity, you, you need more than just the antibodies against the spike protein. Maybe you need the other arm of the immune system, which is killer T cells. Right. Okay. Now, the 
a number of these approaches will induce those killer T cells against the spike protein, but it may be that the spike protein is not the best target. We don't know. So we're making a vaccine that includes not only the spike protein, but two other proteins called MNN proteins that are also targets of cellular immune responses and potentially antibody responses. And instead of injecting it, because you know we've heard about the, the Pfizer cold chain that it has to be at minus 80 degrees centigrade. And we've right. heard about that Moderna is not as bad. It's at minus 20 degrees centigrade. And the other vaccines are at four degrees, you know, room temperature. I'm not room temperature, uh, refrigerator temperature. We've decided to try to make a vaccine that's at room temperature, doesn't have to be injected, can be sent to your house, put into an envelope, poured into a glass of water, swirled around in your mouth to immunize not in the arm where the, the immune response has to eventually get to the mucosal services in your lungs, but actually on the mucosa itself. I don't know if that's gonna be better or if it's even gonna work, but I do know that um, the long history of infectious disease vaccinology tells me that you can't just rely on one approach. I hope and dream that one approach will work, but we're working on something that potentially could be a second generation like maybe it's better, maybe it's less expensive, maybe it's easier to deliver. It has to, of course, work first. So, right. and there are other groups that are doing the same thing. Yeah, so I mean, we have you developed the airplane, but you didn't stop there. Orville and Wilbur developed the plane. Yes, exactly. Yes, but so do you anticipate? Do you think there would it, there's a possibility that um, you may have to have more than one vaccine from these different suppliers we're talking about? a series of two under the current um, uh, protocol, yeah. but would you have to have two, two or three different types uh, in order to be safe? Or do we know that yet? So we, we don't know that. I think that what's going on is, I hope that all, you know, the two RNAs and two adenovirus, three recombinant viruses and two recombinant proteins all work well. And now you can split up the turf of the world with the vaccine producers to produce enough for everybody, if that works. We don't know how, if, it's, if they are gonna work, how long they're gonna work for, whether there's some kind of untoward uh, adverse event, safety event that we don't know about. I don't think there will be. I'm pretty confident there won't be, but we just don't know that. So there has to be a second tier that's working in the background uh, to make sure that, um, that in the event that things don't work as well, that we have other possibilities. And so, as you said, not only do we make, you know, uh, you know the, the Wright brothers, but we have jet planes, but we also right. want to have personal aircraft too now. <laughs> right. and, and so that there's, there's room, uh, hopefully, you know, and hopefully we won't need it, uh, but we can't count on that. Let, walk me through. So when I was asking how you, uh, we went over the, the overview of how you develop a, a, a vaccine, but for the guy who's working on it every day, I mean, the, the images of Petri dishes, a guy with a, you know, a, a dropper dropping it. Oh, yep. That killed it. Oh, yep. That didn't kill it. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of tedium involved in this is, I mean, this cannot be easy. Sure, there's a lot of waiting um, there, depending upon what you're making, if you're making, um, 
you're making the mRNA vaccine, it's, it's, it's actually the most straightforward, all right? If you're making a recombinant virus, meaning that you take one virus that doesn't cause disease in people, and then you put this spike pro the gene or the, the, and, you know, the, the nuclear letters that code for that spike protein into it, you have to make sure it's in there and it stays there and it's stable and you have to demonstrate that that's the case over time, all right? And then, uh, then you have to- Why do I see microscopes involved? Make all this stuff and what, pardon me? Why, why do I see a lot of microscopes involved in all of this? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on and, and, and then you have to make it, produce it and purify it and demonstrate it's, you know, they, we have what are called quality control release specifications, which are defined. And you have to, when you go to the FDA or the European Medicines Agency, you have to show that you meet those specifications. How long does it take like, all right, so we come up with a vaccine. We've, uh, this works. Now, how long does it take to make 100,000, 200,000, a million doses? I mean, that can't happen overnight, right? <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to say. I can say that uh, it's faster to make the nucleotide vaccines than it's to make uh, the other vaccines, but that the viral vaccines can be made quite quickly. The recombinant proteins take longer, but, you know, and again, I'm not privy to what everybody's doing here. Can we but, make them um, with a 3D? 3D the, the, the largest selling, just to say that the largest selling vaccine in terms of money in the history of the world is Prevnar, which is the pneumococcal vaccine, yeah. the pneumococcal pneumonia. Yeah. It's a bacteria and it's a very complicated vaccine. And again, um, it's made by Pfizer. I, I'm not privy to all of their internal, uh, what they say, but I do know that when it was first came out and it was, it was called Prevnar 7, it had seven components. And now it's up to Prevnar 21, <laughs> went to 13 and now 21. And the seven, I'm pretty sure that just to make the seven components took, you know, almost several months and then to release it took, could take a year. All right. I mean, and right. again, it depends on the vaccine, the vaccines that we're talking about, obviously that didn't occur, right? Because they right. made them and we got them into people like in record time. So again, if you build, if you know how to make it, you have a large enough plant, a factory to do it, you can make a lot of this stuff. And I think that, I don't think that these, I think these groups are all, these companies are telling the truth that they actually are going to make hundreds of millions to billions of doses um, in amazingly short time, because it's, then it's just a question of committing the money to making the facility to do it. I'm waiting for the day or, when I or buying all the facilities up or renting them that right. are already existing. I, I'm waiting for the day when I can 3D print it. <laughs> We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Somaha Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself. All shipped directly to your door. They offer everything you need to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. When you go to omahasteaks.com and type question in the search bar, that's omahasteaks.com and type question. And if you need to spell it, it's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N in the search bar. And you'll shop for the best gourmet gifts of the season. I, I like a good raw steak, so uh, enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. 
Hi, and we're back with Dr. Stephen Hoffman, who has uh, wor he's worked on vaccines most of his life, and he's here talking to us today on Just Ask the Question about the latest in uh, the coronavirus uh, vaccines and when they'll be available to the general public. And you are working on a malaria virus. I should think that that would be of interest. That, that affects as many, if not more people every year than the coronavirus. So first, just uh, not to be pedantic, or professorial, oh. but it's a parasite, not a virus. Yeah, I'm sorry, right. you are, I, and, my um, mistake. I showed my ignorance. <laughs> it is a right. parasite, so, <laughs> much, much like my youngest child. <laughs> anyway, Amongst infectious agents, you know, yeah. infections that cause disease, we have viruses, we have bacteria, we have yeast or fungi, and then we have parasites. And if the virus is like as small as the tip of your finger and a bacteria is say a hundred times larger, the parasites are 10 times larger than that and much more complex. They're composed of what we call eukaryotic cells. Those are the same cells that are in our body. Viruses are not cells. No. They actually just, they have to go into your cell to replicate um, bacteria uh, don't have a, uh, a wall around uh, their nucleus and so on. So they're called prokaryotes. And then parasites are much more complex. We have vaccines, lots of vaccines for viruses. We have lots of vaccines for bacteria, but we have no vaccines for parasites. Uh, you just referred to Worldometer. And if you look on Worldometer uh, today, and look at number of deaths this year from malaria, it'll be something like 750,000 to 800,000. That's quite a bit more than's estimated by the World Health Organization. But we've all learned to you know, rely, Worldometer has been pretty accurate in terms of uh, COVID-19. Um, there's yeah, more I, deaths. I refer to over, it. Yeah, there's I refer more to deaths, it. right, um, from COVID-19 this year than from malaria. Uh, there's over a million deaths, but that's new this year. Malaria has been killing this many people for millennia and is likely it's not, we are hoping as we discussed earlier that COVID-19 will eventually will go away in the next few years, but malaria is not likely to, and it keeps going on and it strikes the most disadvantaged in our world, the poorest, uh, the most underserved, um, there's five paras malaria parasite species, but the most important one is Plasmodium falciparum. And 90% of the Plasmodium falciparum in the world is in Sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, which means that most of the deaths are in Africa. So we're focusing on a vaccine to prevent Plasmodium falciparum infection in Africa. Um, there uh, is no vaccine in the world with a license from the FDA market authorization, so you can sell it um, for malaria. Uh, after 36 years of work uh, on a one protein out of the malaria, uh, similar to the spike protein, it's the protein on the surface, GlaxoSmithKline, initially we in the Department of Defense, the US, Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, um, with tremendous funding from the Gates Foundation has taken this all the way through phase three clinical trials. And it's in what's called an implementation program 
in three countries in Africa to make sure that it's safe enough and works well enough in a particular format. And that's 35 years for one protein out of 5,300. Our well, let approach- me, Let me ask this. Yes. Because this is, at bottom line, we threw a lot of money, a lot of effort, physical, mental. I mean, we put the best minds on it and the most money on the coronavirus, right? If we had done that with malaria, would we see greater results than we've seen? Or can you say? Um, I would say unquestionably, we would. Um, but we have to reckon, we have to take that with some stepping back a bit because again, um, the parasite is much more complex, tremendously. I, I understand more complex that. Yeah, than the coronavirus. Yeah, and it, and and in part we have not gone forward because it's been a disease of poverty. There you but, go. You know, of poor people and, and investment. But for many, you know, for the last 40, 50 years, uh, the U.S. Army has had had you know had malaria as the number one infectious disease research objective. Right. right, the U.S. military and so on. So it it does strike in the United States um, every year. Several thousand, you know, fifteen hundred people are hospitalized. Ten to twenty people die every year. Many more in Europe, uh, but its biggest impact is, of course, in 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 the developing world. So the answer to your question is, um, it's very complex. One of the reasons why large pharmaceutical companies have not invested in it. Uh, other than GlaxoSmithKline, no U.S. pharmaceutical company has has invested more than a million dollars, two million dollars, ever in history in making a malaria vaccine. And I'm telling you that, you know, yes. 500,000 to a million people die every year of it. Right. And so the question is why? And one facile explanation is, of course, that uh, is the profit motive. But it's more than that. It's because it's so hard. And so yeah. the answer to your question is if we took our best minds and you know increased 10 times as much money put into it, yes, I think we would have solved it uh, before now. But well, we that's... haven't. And so we have to struggle uh, uh, to, to just keep alive pursuing. See, to me, that's, I mean, look, to me, that's sad. Bottom line is um, I'm impressed and encouraged by how we have tackled the coronavirus. And in fact, when the president got sick and he had $100,000 worth of experimental treatment, it showed that if we throw the right resources at it, we can tackle the problem. But it's increasingly sad to me. It, it, it makes me sad to think that it takes that type of, if it affects everyone, we're going to throw it the money at it. If it's just affecting the poor, we're not. That's a sad fact. And that, that to me is, is, you know, while I think it's great news that we're going after the coronavirus, it ultimately uh, it strikes me as very sad that we can't do that more often with other maladies. It, it seems like we would be able to solve some of our problems and we just threw a little more money at it. And if we're throwing all the money at, you know, if you're throwing all the money at the military and we do, and I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying as a scientist, it's got to be frustrating knowing that if you had just had the resources, you'd be able to solve some of the problems that you've struggled so hard to, to solve 
over, you know, in this case, what, 30, 35, 40, how many years? This, yeah. uh, um, that's so again, it's a complex me. matter, but the, the level of investment is not commensurate with the, the enormity of the problem. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> You've got um, and you know, one of the things that's really interesting, uh, Brian, is the following, is that we, you know that in 2013 to 15, we had an Ebola epidemic in, in Africa, and there was tremendous scare here regarding it. Yeah. And uh, we actually now have a licensed vaccine against Ebola. But hundreds of millions to billions of dollars went into that in large part because of, we don't have a, didn't have a treatment for it. And uh, it was scary that it might come here and several right. people did come here with it and so on. But um, in that entire pandemic, um, there were about, and I don't want to belittle it in any way, shape, or form. No, I understand. Um, there were probably 12,000, 11 to 12,000 deaths. And that's how many people die of malaria every 10 days. Yeah. And that's the same level of investment has not been made, uh, whether it's from pharmaceutical companies or from, um, you know, equity investment groups. Uh, that that was made in Ebola, and there's a variety of reasons. One of which was that it was a scary thing about coming here. Two, it, there isn't a treatment for it, and three, it was pretty straightforward to do. So you invest in what you know you can do. You invest in in technologies that you feel can be taken forward, and that's good. It was it's great that we you know have such a vaccine. Right. Um, but. <laughs> but unfortunately, we're sitting here with other diseases that have enormous impact uh, that for which we don't. And um, I appreciate you uh, giving me a forum to discuss that. Well, I, I appreciate you doing it. I it's always, you know, having covered these things for my whole life. Uh, I just see that there is a disparity. I mean, we went after Ebola because that scared the living crap out of everybody. That could come here, you bleed out of your eyes, and you're gone. You know, <laughs> malaria doesn't scare people quite as much, and and that's because it's it's among those people down there. If you live where we live, we don't have to worry about it, and people don't worry about that type of thing. I think. Um, last question I'll give you for the evening. We've set we we broke apart the pan. Uh, Donald Trump broke up the pandemic response team. And Biden has talked about getting it back together. Have we lost our ability to react to the next pan? And everyone says the next pandemic is coming. So have we lost the ability to react to a pandemic or is that something we can get back? Uh, I think we absolutely can get it back and are actually gonna get it back very fast. And we, look, we have responded to this pandemic. Unfortunately, the kind of leadership that we would have liked uh, to promote the kind of activity and the coordinated effort uh, we haven't had. And yeah. I'll be blunt. I've worked with the World Health Organization you know, for the last 35 years. The idea that we would withdraw and, and abdicate our leadership position in the world when the worst pandemic, the worst health crisis, infectious disease crisis of the last hundred years occurs is, is beyond my comprehension. The fact that anybody can support that 
when we're, we are members of the international community, we don't live just on a planet by ourselves. Um, and, and to abdicate the leadership and to withdraw from the World Health Organization at a time when we, were need, we are needed the most is something that mystifies me how anybody can see that as anything other than negative. My hope is that we'll soon be back as members of the World Health Organization. My hope is that we will soon have um, very straightforward science-based driven efforts to get prepared. The idea that the undermining of science, I mean, I just, I'm a past president of the American Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. We had just had the past pre president's breakfast virtually at lunch today. And you have the, some of the major leaders of our country in, in so much of infectious diseases. And the, we're all kind of horrified at the disregard for science. The, the idea that people you know, still don't even believe that COVID, that SARS-CoV-2 causes COVID-19. Oh, I know. Um, to and, me, and, I'll um, be honest with you. To me, it's like we're living in the dark ages. It's like the middle ages. It's like you discredit uh, science. You're talking about evangelical movies. I mean, it reminds me of, it's like we're in a technological dark ages. Why don't you give some- Well, but, but we're not, but we're not, but a significant percentage of the population somehow hasn't gotten the message and really believes the exact opposite. I know. And I, I, we don't know how to deal with that. I, I really, I'm, uh, it's, it's, all we can do is try to go it forward and do me, the right brother. thing. And, and we will. And in the meantime, you still have uh, Tony Fauci and the message that he uh, communicates being um, uh, admired by the majority of the country. There are other people at those rallies, you know, talking about putting them in jail. I mean, I, I've been how there. How does that happen? I mean, how is that possible? I can't, I can't fathom what's going on and what people think. But they really believe that somehow um, he's he's making it up. We're making it up. Um, you know, we have uh, we the I I I've tried to engage with some of my um, uh, Republican friends, or and and they'll say to me that, oh, you can talk to find doctors that say the opposite. And I say, I, let's I, get something straight here. You know, um, there's let's talk about three organizations: the National Academy of Medicine, the Infectious Disease Society of America, and let the American Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. Ninety-eight percent of the specialists in those fields, and in public health specialists support wholeheartedly what the message that's been coming out of the mouth of you know Tony Fauci that eventually when Bob Redfield got up in Congress and held up a mask and said this could be more important certainly in, in now than a vaccine might ever be um, that's a message which is so clear uh, this is not magic you don't get this virus it's not politics. By magic it, it comes out of your mouth and nose and goes into somebody else's you block that, you will block it. I and we will, I'll, you know, have a vaccine. Yeah. yeah, I'll go you one better. I've talked to a guy at a Trump rally who admitted that they lost a relative, okay, who died of, of, of COVID-19. And I said, well, then how can it be a hoax? And they said, well, they didn't die of COVID-19. 
they got uh, pneumonia and died of pneumonia. And I said, yeah, they, they got pneumonia because they had COVID-19. Were they obese? Well, they were a diabetic. Yeah, he was you know, overweight and diabetic. I go, so he had underlying causes. He got the COVID-19 and that's it. They got the COVID, they got the Corona, they got the Rota. So they got the, they got coronavirus and then got the pneumonia and they don't, they can't even make the connection between, you know, so they believe technically that COVID-19 didn't kill their relative, that it was something else. Sure. And there's no way I can reach someone like that. But hopefully there's enough people who are uh, susceptible to uh, common sense, logic and science that they'll wear a damn mask. And if the president's wearing one, if the president-elect starts wearing one, then maybe more people will start wearing one. And by the time the vaccine becomes available, we can achieve the herd immunity that everyone and, wants. And I think that's going to happen. I think that, um, you know, there's, there's always going to be people you can't reach, but I think that there are people that can be reached. Well, yeah, and like you said earlier, there are going to be some people who won't even take the vaccine. <laughs> they'll they'll yeah. say, I ain't and taking a lot the vaccine. Of people, you know, you get all these polls that say that people won't, 50% won't take it, but I, I actually don't believe that. Once no, I don't either. Show and then we get out there, but there will always be people who, you know, will deny it and be against it. And we have to live with that. And we have to try to communicate. And uh, the world's made up of lots of different people with lots of different perspectives. And I, I truly don't understand a, a, a lot of the reactions, but um, you we and have me to both. push forward and we will. And that's how we got here over thousands of years by keeping this pro progress going. And um, we will. Called evolution. Very kind of yeah. <laughs> I love it. Listen, uh, Stephen, it's a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you being on the show again. Hope we can have you back again sometime and be talking about uh, the, the new malaria vaccine. <laughs> okay. Well, Thank thanks you very a lot, much. Brian. Yep, it was okay, a pleasure. Bye. The show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks a lot for joining us. We'll catch you next time. And there you go. We're good to go.